If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan, Mike Morgan of ESPN, and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered, beginning right now. Welcome, everybody. It is another installment of J.C. and Morgan. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network. And today we are going to break down the final episode of Ozark and spoil it for everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just kidding. I, I'm only uh, two episodes into the final season. I already know I'm going to love it. Uh, it's been been remarkable. Hashtag Ruth. Hashtag Ruth. Uh, this is episode number 161. Who would have thought it? The little engine that could. We just keep on going. And, and you know, JC, I was thinking about this. One of the reasons why we keep on going, and and I'm not just trying to brag on us. There's other uh, college football podcasts that that do well out there. I, I think we have um, an extremely loyal following that's that's only growing by the episode, uh, and and some of them listen to others, and that's fine. And some of them choose us over others because they they like the content better. But I, I've said this for years: that the college football basketball fan and Tim Brando has talked about this when he's on with us is so underserved. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm watching a show today, a a popular national show that I enjoy. One of the few that I enjoy, I'm not going to mention the name. And of course the host who doesn't, I mean, he would rather talk about LeBron James uh, ad nauseum than really break into what happened the previous Saturday in college football or what happened in a busy uh, weekend of March Madness and basketball, what have you, he all of a sudden now is saying, I told you this years ago, this is going to happen with NIL. Like, no, you didn't. Dear. No, no, bro. I listen to your show like habitually. You were clueless on this. And a lot of people were clueless on what was going to happen with NIL. And I've always said, I, I'd much rather tell you like the predictions that I make that are wrong. I think it's more fun. Like, uh, you know, nobody wants to sit here and listen to somebody talk about how they they were right about stuff. I'm wrong on plenty of predictions. Um, But this is one that I had nailed only because I don't think I was super smart about it, but because I I, I mentioned things like when I hear supply and demand and I use terms like artificial demand, that's what it is. I use terms like you're not going to get your ROI return on investment, but it doesn't matter because for these people, these are, these are the same people that were trying to buy cars for players years ago, not try did. Well, now they have a chance to do so. And it's kind of sort of legal. So uh, we're, we're going to talk about two things today and, and JC, I'll let you pick which order you want to go in. I'm, I'm, 
I'm psyched about either one of these topics. But the aftermath of where we are now with ROI and Josh Addison and uh, clearly programs buying players, buying transfers, I don't think there's any other way you can uh, classify it. Or the NFL draft came and went, which is a subject that I really love um, because I watch it all every year like a big football geek, which is kind of what I am. And one of the things I love about it, it brings college and NFL together. It's the one time that those two things intersect. And I'm a lifelong college football and NFL fan. And you get to see both. And we all get to play our own uh, version of the Mel Kuyper game. And we all think we are the masters of our fantasy leagues and smart GMs. And we can see talent that maybe other people can't. So I, I just, I love that facet of it. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll hit those two subjects heavy. Uh, we just had Bob Kessling on a couple of days ago. He was terrific. And, uh, and let me just say one thing on the Bob Kessling thing is we didn't get a chance to get into it. Uh, we had a limited amount of time. We, we, we could have gone two hours with Bob. I, I not just talking about Tennessee football, because I, I, I just think Bob is a guy that's been around this league a long time and the JP days fascinate me. I yes. mentioned this and we, we, we kind of got interrupted, but how JP gets bagged on a lot. I remember there was an article on like how awful the three Daves were. Uh, you know, you had, you had three Daves doing the broadcast. This is long after Bob Kessling left and, and they would talk about uh, the production value versus, you know, the, the CBSs and the uh, NBC ESPNs, whatever. And, and, and yeah, I get it. Like it, 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 it's not the same. You don't have the same cameras. You don't have the same this, that, and the other. But it really was important to have those games. And it really set the table for things like the SEC, the ACC Network today. And it really expanded the brand of, of college football and more specifically SEC football. So uh, we, we could have done a whole segment on that, just the importance of Jefferson Pilot slash Lincoln Financial slash Raycom. Uh, but anyway, uh, Bob was terrific. If you haven't heard that already, even if you're not a Tennessee fan or don't care about Tennessee football, which you should, if you're an SEC fan, as I always say, the only way to gauge if you're making any progress or success is, is you, you, on the success of your peers, your competition. That's how you know whether things are good or bad or indifferent. So uh, anyway, I say all that just to lead up to say, hello, JC. How are you, sir? Hey, yeah, I finished those articles on Sunday. So you're, uh, uh, you're done. All right. No, good, no spoiler. Uh, no spoiler. Not going to talk about it. But uh, it was good. I enjoyed the entire show i did certainly yeah. thought it was i mean yeah we talked about this on the show like after ozark what, what do we do with netflix it's 20 dollars a month now and you know it's not a surprise they're kind of hemorrhaging subscribers because i mean it's been a while since they've really had a hit right uh, yeah so it's going to be interesting to see what happens once the, the ozark crowd leaves because i mm -hmm. i i have really little interest in watching anything new on that on that uh streaming platform now and i've got i've got hbo max and paramount plus and all those and then and hulu and those remain useful but um you know i don't know about netflix i'm on the fence uh, here, here's what's kept me with netflix uh, and by the way, I want to I want to see the offer on Paramount Plus, which is about how the Godfather was made, yes. which, is a, which is a fascinating story. Um, but I've been watching. I'm almost ashamed to say this. 
I've probably watched a handful of documentaries on Netflix exclusively about serial killers. Yes, uh, those are the best. My oh girlfriend my goodness. loves those. Girlfriend, I loves mean, those. yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's fascinating. Like the the guy in L, and, the, and these are all things that happened when I was alive, but I was a kid, so I didn't really know. So that to me always gives an extra uh, perspective when it's like, holy snap, this happened when I was alive, but I didn't know mm-hmm. about it because I was like eight years old. But the the L.A. killer, the Ramirez guy, good lord, was he evil? The John Wayne Gacy, Gacy in Chicago, yeah. You, you I mean that that guy oh should have God. I, it's amazing to me, like because uh, I've learned all about him. And um, if how do they not know about this? This if happened you, when we were alive. Yeah, we we were totally alive. And if you go uh, fly into O'Hare, which a lot of people have flown into O'Hare Airport or flown through there, uh, it's it's near a place called Des Plaines, uh, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, and it all happened right around the airport. And uh, John Wayne Gacy was in prison in Iowa <laughs> uh, for something pretty bad. And then he yeah. uh, he got out and came back to Illinois and, and did what he did, dressed like a clown. I mean, it, it's, it makes the hair on your arms stand up when you get into the details of some of this evil. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, that, we love the – around here, we love the serial killer documentaries, the ones where, like, you know, the other ones where – you know, a, a wife kills her husband or something. We, we watch those too. Uh, I don't know what, how to read into that uh, with the girlfriend <laughs> and all, but uh, it's, uh, it's certainly um, part of the, the repertoire. Yeah. And you're right. I didn't think about that. I may miss that if uh, uh, on Netflix, if, if I, if I got rid of it, but I, I it's on my radar. I, and I, I'm one that doesn't cancel much, you know, I don't, I usually stick with something if I like it, you know, and uh, I do too. But you better cut. You better come. You better do better, Netflix. If you I need, want my I twenty need, bucks a month, I, I need more. Need something more? Yeah, some new original. Because I honestly, it's a little depressing that Ozark is gone. Because yeah, you know, I, I love the show. I loved it, and it, you know, I'd watch it start to finish every time it got released. And then we had the pandemic, and it there was a big delay, right? And so we're all waiting on Ozark for like two yeah. years. And then yeah, so now, yeah. now that I'm done, I feel a little melancholy about it. And I'm like, dang. I know. And you know, it, I'm, I'm going to miss Laura Linney and Jason Bateman, you know? Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's so well acted. And I, I remember J- uh, Jason Bateman when he was a friend of Ricky Schroeder on Silver Spoons. That was my introduction to Jason Bateman. Uh, mm. He was funny then. and th- But then his career, like a lot of these guys, their career just falls off a cliff for a while. I've listened to an interview with Jason Bateman. He couldn't get work for years. The, 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 the project that saved his career was Arrested Development, which has got a, yeah. like a real niche following. I've seen it a few times. Funny show. I never got that into it. But, but he, was, he was completely off the radar. It's almost like what Pulp Fiction did for Travolta. Like the, these yeah. are guys. Hollywood is a weird. Well, Hollywood now, in a lot of ways, uh, let's be honest, it's, it's despicable <laughs> and, yeah. and really just loathsome. Like you, you don't like anything about these the, so many of the people in real life anymore. And that's, that's another thing that's, that's changing people's view of uh, try finding a movie that's worth seeing right now that, mm-hmm. that doesn't try to subject you to a message that they want you uh, uh, to follow because it, it comes from their own, you know, vantage. It's not, a, it's not about telling a good story anymore. It's about, we got to message you, but, but you, it, it's such a weird place in that what's hot one day is completely not the other. And we're used to that in the music industry with like one hit wonder, one album wonder. And then it's like, well, now they can't even put a song together. How does that happen? That's always fascinated me. 
Uh, it's the same thing in, in Hollywood is that you can be a part of a super uh, run of hit movies and then phew, you're just done. Like the phone never, ever rings. And that's just, uh, that, that's bizarre. But yeah. yeah uh, he was in Teen Wolf too, man. That should have really launched his career. Well, and he talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> he talked about that, how that's how desperate he was. Like, that, I mean, that's a career killer. When you're, when, when Michael J. Fox says no to the, to Teen Wolf 2, and you're like, yeah, no, I got this. That's like, that's almost career suicide. That's when you're, you know, what's next? Like hard bodies four. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're running the gamut of, I don't, I'm just taking whatever I can to stay in the business, but arrested development saved his career. And he is so good. Laura Linney is so good. And the woman that plays Ruth is off the charts. Good. The supporting players in that show has been good since season one and, and spoiler alert, I will tell you almost the entire show is not filmed in the Ozarks of Arkansas or Missouri it's it's filmed in Georgia, much of it mm-hmm. Lake Lanier and um, uh, uh, is it, Northern Cobb County, Ackworth, that area. Kind yeah, of, yeah, 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 yeah. Lanier. Yeah. And is it a Coe? Yeah, there's two lakes know. that it's that it's like you're not like, uh, you're watching, like Alatuna. Like Alatuna, Alatuna, thank yeah. you. Yeah. So when you're watching that show, and there's a whole thing on YouTube, like you can see all the places that it's been filmed in Georgia, because again, as you know, Georgia is is cheaper tax breaks for people to film there. Um, and, and as much as try to, people try to convince you that it's hard to vote in Georgia, it's the easiest there are people living under bridges that are voting in Georgia. So that whole movement to try to cancel people from filming shows and movies in the state of Georgia, that, that was not successful. They still film a ton of stuff there, but that whole show is almost entirely filmed in Georgia. I hope that doesn't ruin it for anybody. Um, but, (laughs) but if you've ever been to Lake Lanier, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. I've been on, on that lake, uh, dozens of times and it's a a perfect place to film something like that. And unfortunately there are dead bodies right now in the body of uh, bottom of Lake Lanier as well. Uh, Anyway, they, uh, yeah, they, 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 they establishing, they they went out to the Ozarks, did the establishing shots, like from the Ozarks up, up high. Uh, that you see at the beginning of the show and then the rest by and large is right there in Georgia. And, um, and you're right, you know, uh, Jason Bateman, a uh, heck of a, I mean, he directed part of it, acted in it, wrote some of it. And, uh, you know, it, the Teen Wolf two thing reminded me his sister, Justine Bateman yeah. was in uh family ties with Michael J. Fox. Mallory. She was she Mallory. Played, she was Mallory. Well, and then she did like one awful music movie, and I never yeah, saw light it. Of since. Day. Light of was Day. Light of Day. I'm just around the corner from the light of day. Hey. Oh, my goodness. I only remember yeah. that because my dad owned a video store when that came out. So I, I would work there on weekends, kind of watch oh, it sweet. for him. And then uh, when, when I was in fifth grade, and uh, you wait know, a minute, you had free access to VHS tapes? I did. It was, fa- it was called Family Video. Now, there's some family videos around now, too, but this was not part of that. Did and you have he faces it, of death in there? Well, yes, yes, faces. So of you death. watched it? Nah, maybe you know. Yeah, I, I yeah. told him I didn't, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's it, um, yeah, they, uh, yeah. So I, I heard that trailer over and over again when it came out. So oh, goodness. all right, I, so you know, I did not know that. All right, we, that was a complete tangent, and we do yeah, that every now and then. All right, let's time. get to business. Which one do you want to tackle first? You want to go NFL draft, or you want to go NIL? Let's go NIL. It's it's at the NIL. tip. Okay. I mean, every message board is alive right now uh, out there with the hardcore fans wondering about this. 
lot of moving parts, a lot of different opinions and takes. Uh, I, I tend to think that, you know, some of it is good. Some of it is bad. So we'll, we'll go from there. I'm, I'm going to start the conversation um, with something I heard yesterday from a, a occasional coworker of mine, a guy that I, I have a lot of respect for. Uh, and if you follow college basketball, you might be familiar with the name Dallin Cuff. Dallin Cuff does a lot of studio work at ESPN during the college basketball season. He's an analyst. I've worked with him a few times over the years. Very sharp guy. Played basketball in the Ivy League. So he's not your typical you know, five-star recruit that had everything handed to him. And um, he started, he, he's, he does work on Sirius XM. He, he starts off the show yesterday and he says, you know, every now and then people in our business need to admit when we're wrong, which is kind of what I said at the top, right? Like I, I'm more than happy to tell you when I get something wrong or something I thought would happen didn't or a prediction I had that was, I think it actually makes for more entertaining radio or in this case, podcast. And he said, I thought I was, you know, banging the drum that NIL was going to be a good thing and it was not going to be wrought with problems and that it was going to be a simple case of, of supply and demand and kids were just going to get, you know, their, their little marketing deals and, and, and there really wouldn't be much uh, fallout from it. And then he followed up with, I was wrong. There's a lot of people that said things like this. Uh, a lot of people that said things like we. I mean, we had somebody, maybe a couple of people on our podcast say, "Look, uh, with all this talk about NIL, you'll be surprised how little demand there is for these football players. Like it, it's, you know, we're making too much of a big deal of it. And here I am, like from a mountaintop, going, "It's going to be the wild, wild west. Are you crazy? Like, do you know what these boots?" are capable of do you understand how desperate people are to have a great football program and they'll do anything they will throw their own money away it doesn't matter if they get market value or return on investment they don't care but that's that's not what was being said it was just hey look man i mean we're, we're getting bent out of shape so what if a kid does a sponsorship deal and you know he 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 pimps a, a car dealer and and get some extra money in his pocket. I mean, these kids deserve to be able to buy a, a dinner and take their girlfriend out to the movies, blah, 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 blah. That was the wrong prediction. What you're seeing today is exactly what we all should have known was going to happen. And it is nothing more than a, a glorified version of pay for play. When you're getting recruits to come to your school based on a financial package before you've ever done it, this is not Johnny Manziel winning a Heisman Trophy and then getting an NIL deal because he's the biggest hit in sliced bread. That's justifiable. This is a 17-year-old five-star defensive lineman who's never done anything and who's getting promised six figures, seven figures. And now... In the case of Josh Addison and others, there's also a quarterback out there. I'm not sure who it is, JC. You might know, but apparently he's out there saying the starting bid is two and a half million. Now it's players that have accomplished some things and basically trying to start a bidding war. And you really think the company that sponsors him is going to get two and a half million dollars worth of advertising uh, justifiable return of investment? No, it's just a can you pull your resources together and buy this transfer? So that's where we are. And all of a sudden now I'm hearing, oh, we got to do something. We got to do something. 
well, where, where, where was everybody when this is coming down the pike? And it was just like nothing to see here, nothing to see here. And, and look, we're no longer at the point where we can sit here and tee off on Mark Emmert. Mark Emmert is he's a punching bag, and I don't care if he retires or not. Not much is going to change in the NCAA. They are, when it comes to college football, they are more powerless than ever. But we, we have reached a, a, a tipping point now where it's not the NCAA that's going to save you. It, it's going to have to be the five families, the power five commissioners that get together and get something. Uh, I, I hear terms like salary cap, and I, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually realistic, but you're going to have to get something on paper that regulates this somewhat, or we are heading down a really really dark path. I'll, I'll leave you uh, one more statement, JC, because I've, I've rambled on too much. Uh, this is from our, our, uh, our friend, Matt Berry of uh, ESPN, who used to work in the same market we did uh, a while back. And if I can find his Twitter, which I don't, there it is. Okay. At Matt Berry. Uh, Matt wrote this out. And of course he got hammered for it. Because there's a whole niche of people, again, they don't care about the success of college athletes, uh, athletics. They just think that college athletes are victims. And so that, so what if college football is kind of in peril because they don't care? Uh, Matt Berry says, quote, people screamed, let them transfer. People screamed, pay them. Screamers never have a responsible plan to make it work. They just scream nonsense to be the loudest. This is now college football. Well done. And <laughs> I, I, I understand where he's coming from, and I, I, I could, the, the blowback from that was predictable, but it is true about, about things in general. We've, we've learned a lot about social media here of late. Uh, all the screamers that just thought that this would be a good thing without any regulation and without any, without any thought of how it could affect the health of the, of the sport as a whole, they now have to take a look at it and say, well, We've got a little bit of an issue on our hands, and we got to do something to fix it. Yeah, and I just I don't know what you do. I, I, uh, I you know, they talk about Pandora's box a lot, and you know, sometimes today there's a lot of hyperbole in the media with all subjects, everything from the daggum weather to politics to sports. There's a lot of hyperbole, you know. Oh, pay. Pandora's box. Oh, you know, it's uh, oh god, there was a tornado in Alabama. We're all gonna die, you know, because of whatever. And uh, you know, besides all those topics, I mean, it it, 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 there's a lot of drama when you read articles. I think a lot of it has to do with Twitter because everybody's sort of on a stage now, and you know, people that uh, want to have a voice tend to have a flair for the dramatic a little bit, or at least they're clear and concise, but uh. I, I I believe I was probably a little bit, uh, I don't know, naive, optimistic that uh, it would not be like this right away. Uh, and I still maintain <laughs> that those that are out there clamoring for recruits in football to get seven figures have no clue about the sport. I, I doubt they've ever played it. Uh, and, and look, I'm not one of these guys at all, Mike, that says you have to have played football uh, to be an expert or an, an analyst. It's, in fact, some of your best experts never played. Right. Uh, and I, I'll go on the record. I don't want this to, 
turn into that because you know whenever i hear that it kind of pisses me off i mean i did play you know to be honest mm-hmm. but didn't play much at past a very low level so uh you know and, and i get insulted by that so i'm not saying that um but in this sport you you have to develop and it's not like basketball or baseball where you you develop by going and playing just a ton of games even games that don't matter with aau and the summer ball for baseball you know soccer travel so there's no travel football uh you play uh a certain amount of games a year and then you're training the rest of the time uh i cover college football recruiting for 15 years there's maybe two guys i've seen ever three uh three three off the top of my head that don't need to develop, you know, that didn't need any development at all. And that's Trevor Lawrence, uh, Marcus Lattimore, and Adrian Peterson. (laughs) That's three guys, right? You know, and two of them play in the state of South Carolina, you know. Uh, And and there's probably some guys like in Alabama's secondary over the years that that probably could have gone to the pros or I'm probably missing some people. Other than that, even if you're a running back, and a lot of running backs are just naturally talented, there's not a lot of development that goes in there. You know, you've got to you got to work and develop and, and get stronger and bigger and faster because it's a different level. The collisions are harder. Um, it, it's a different level of sport than in high school, right? Um, and you can't just go straight to the pros. So, so given the the <laughs> you have to do that and you have to work. Uh, and, and, and knowing that these are 18 year old kids, uh, what, and then knowing, as we saw in the draft that, you know, while four and five stars have a better chance statistically of being drafted and being all Americans and things like that, it's about 50% right now. And that's without an IM. So you start buying all these guys and, and, and you know, Mike, you and I both were in college. Okay. You have a million dollars, $2 million in the bank. You know, and, and football's hard. Think about what you have to put your body through. You know, not just working out, but the like I said, the collisions. The, it, it is a physical game. Your body goes through hell playing it. How many guys are just going to say, look, man, I've got generational wealth right now. Uh, I've got money in the bank. I bought my mom a house. I'm done, you know. And, and think about how many guys in the NFL with all that they do to make sure they protect their investment. Think how many guys got drafted really high, got 20, 30 million. And then, oh, shoot, I, you know, Jamarcus Russell, Vince Young come to mind. Uh, a lot of guys. Blake Burrell, Bortle. I mean, they, they, they just don't pan out. And, and maybe those guys in the pros do put in the work. I don't know. I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into that. But if you're 18 years old, you know, look, there's a reason that, you know, celebrity children have the problems they do. <laughs> uh See, and, and it's not the, and, and the attention's already there for these recruits, but then you throw money on top of that, Mike? Well, here's the thing. At the risk of sounding um, callous on this, I don't, even, I don't even care about that. Like, everything you said is true, mm-hmm. but if they don't know how to handle their money and, it, and it, it's too much for them or they go down a, 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 the wrong beaten path, that's on them. Like, I, I, you know, it wasn't that long ago that uh, – that I was in college and I like to think I was fairly responsible. And, and I, I did, I certainly didn't think of myself as a kid. I think thought of myself as a young man who, who was responsible for, for my own decisions 
and had to make responsible ones as best as I can. Could I make smarter decisions when I was 35 than when I was 19? Of course, but, but I wasn't a baby. And if I got a ton of money at that age, I have confidence either me or somebody that would advise me would be, uh, would be helpful in telling me what not to do. But I don't even care. I, I, I just, again, at sounding a little bit callous here, I don't care about that. What I can, and I don't care about a kid. See, what, what people do, this is, so, this is so common in an argument on anything nowadays, whether it's political or in sports, when they don't like what you're bringing to the table, they go to one extreme to twist it, and it's you know a prisoner of two ideas. Well, either you are for complete uh, wild, wild west, no restriction, no anything nil to the part to the point where it's going to, in my opinion, damage the sport, or you are just a hundred percent for they're college athletes and they should just be happy with a scholarship. And back in my day, we didn't get money. I'm not either. Don't try to pigeonhole me when you talk about my opinion on this. Uh, Not you. I'm talking about people in general. I have always said, I don't care if college athletes get more and they do get more. Like I was, I also played high school ball, football and basketball, and I wasn't good enough to play D one, but I had a hell of a lot of guys around me that were, And I know what they used to get back in the 90s versus what they get today. And it's not even close, folks. I'm not talking about NIL. I'm talking about cost of attendance. I'm talking about uh, free free grant money on top of having every blessed thing paid for to where a lot of these kids are taking that money in the five figures and they're sending it back to their families because they don't need it because they've already got everything paid for. So it's not just how much you bring, how much revenue you have as somebody, same thing for us in real life. Like, would I rather have a $20,000 raise at my job, JC, or would I rather make the same amount of money, but somebody is paying my mortgage, my meals, my gas? Like, if, guess what? I'd rather have that because that's going to amount to more than $20,000. So when you have everything paid for already and you get stuff on top of it with cost of attendance and you're able to get uh, Pell Grant money and other things, then you're clearly doing better than the people before. But I don't care if they get more than that. I don't care if they get $10,000 here and $5,000. That doesn't bother me either. See, I'm in the middle where I say I'm all for them getting more stuff. The money has never been greater. The coaches have never made more money. Unlike some people out there, I'm not resentful of coaches making millions. Mm. You need to get over that. If you're like uh, a CEO of any business is making a hell of a lot more than it's than it's workers. So welcome to the real world, folks. That's that's the way it is. If you have a job, and many of the people that complain about this stuff, I, I kind of wonder if they if they have had a job, but in, in the actual real world, then you, you ought to look up what your boss, what the CEO of that particular company makes. I promise you, it's a hell of a lot more than you make, even though your, your work is very valuable, and they couldn't do uh, that type of work without it. Without it. So uh, I, I say all that to say this, like you can be in the middle on this. You can be totally in favor of college athletes getting more, but at the same time, realize that if you don't regulate it, it's detrimental to the sport. And if it's detrimental to the sport, nobody in the long run wins. So that's where something needs to be done. Yeah. And that, that's where I get in with the, the development part of it. I mean, like, okay, so, 
schools are walking theirs. There's another article today on on three about, uh, oh my God, you know, market value for a blue chip quarterbacks now 2 million because everybody wants the deal. Nico who's going to Tennessee got or whatever. Fine. Well, that's fine. You know, spend the money. Uh, what's going to happen is everybody's going to assume that the, oh, the schools that get the five-star players are going to, going to win. Um, and, and Mike, I'll be honest, there's some elite programs right now that are kind of laughing at this. Uh, Alabama's won, you know, Nick Saban was straight up about it. Hey, look, and, and I, and I believe him. Uh, I believe Alabama's collective can pay with the best of them, but, uh, you know, he, he made it and pointed out our guys made more money than anybody else in the country last year. What we're going to do is provide an opportunity to come here and you can make money if you work hard and if you develop like you should. Uh, I think they're still going to get a percentage of the top guys. They may lose a guy here or there, but, you know, a guy that wants that much money probably isn't going to do that well at Alabama, to be quite frank. Um so, you know, I don't think Clemson's going to play that game. You know, I, I, I think they, they do have a collective that's off to a good start. I don't think you're going to see the Tigers go out and pay $8 million for a player. Uh, and I think those programs are still going to win a lot of games. And see, what's going to happen is you're going to sit there in two or three years and go, wow, you know, we thought, you know, because these guys have all these great recruiting classes on paper that, they're going to be really good. And I think as we've seen with Southern Cal and Tennessee and Florida state and so Texas and some of these blue bloods that recruit in the top five every year, they go five and seven uh, culture still matters and it's still important. And, and so I think what everybody else is going to do and look right now, there's probably three or four egregious situations. Um, but the problem is Mike, it, it, it's rapidly evolving into it. Uh, and you see it, you see people with, you know, you hear behind the scenes, <clears throat> how much a guy that, you know, like, like, like there's one school that, that, that I heard from the other day. Okay. So, so they have a guy that wants 50 grand up front and 200 grand a year, um, and a car. And I, I and none of that's NIL, right. It was just that people just straight up want it. Right. Uh, and you know, he plays a position where, you know, in, in the recruiting footprint they're in there, that position is a dime a dozen. You know, there are guys that are better than others. But what was pointed out to me was, well, there's this other guy that doesn't want anything but a scholarship. He's never brought up NIL. He's better. He's not ranked as high, but in our eyes, he's better. And you look at his film and they got a point because, you know, the guy that wants the money has a ways to go to. to. So you're not talking about no brainers here. And so what I think a lot of schools are going to do and a lot of elite programs will do is play money ball. And they'll go, okay, well, you know, we're going to, you know, with our collectives, you know, we're going to, you know, encourage, I guess, as best they can, because they can't right now directly be involved. And that's something else, too. The, the schools may end up bringing this in-house, which would be easier to manage. Um, you know, we're not going to pay out the, you know, we're not going to use 80% of our NIL money to sign a running back when we can sign somebody just as good. We're going to use this money to protect like the important positions like quarterback. You know, if we have an in-state prospect, we want to keep home, that kind of thing. And, and I don't know those, those schools that take that money ball approach and, and go and, 
you know, go, okay, well, you know, this guy is a four star with a lot of offers and we love him. We love to have him under normal circumstances, but you know, budget wise, you know, we're going to have to go sign this other guy. And then it does become like Moneyball. And I think that like the movie, like the Oakland A's, uh, you'll have small he gets on base, JC. That, that, he gets on base. It. Yeah, it gets on base, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and I think you can win in college football doing that if, as I, you know, unless human nature changes <laughs> and, and I'm wrong about a lot of these guys who are already hyped to the gills as it is, uh, you know, settling down and going someplace where, you know, and, and then you got the other guys, you got 85 people on a roster, you may have 20 millionaires. What about the other 65 that you're depending on for things like special teams, certain positions on defense? I mean, you know, those guys aren't getting paid. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there, there, we can go down a number of different paths here. Um, and you're looking at it, how each school is going to have to approach it. And you're right. Because the fact of the matter is there are some schools that simply have entirely uh, so much more resources than even schools that yeah. we think are prominent. Like not all SEC schools, for example, are built the same. There are a couple that have a hell of a lot more money that they can put into a collective or anything else to get players and attract players and attract transfer players than some other SEC schools. There's not just like power five versus group five. If it was that nobody would care, right? Because people just turn their back on group five. Like, well, they should just be happy to, to have a, a team in division one and, 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 you know, that we're headed toward a super conference anyway. And so screw them. If that's your attitude, that's fine. I might not agree with that either, but, but we're talking about actual power five schools. There is a major discrepancy between some of them and others of them. And then there's some that's even in a whole other department that they just simply can't compete in this mm -hmm. culture. And your point is a valid one. Like every, every lower level, every rung on the ladder that we go lower, it's harder to project. So, right. So we just had the NFL draft. So it's easier for me to project what a first round pick is for the NFL after three years of college versus four years of high school. I'm still going to be wrong, but I'm going to be right more than I'm wrong. And yes. even as much as we like to focus on how, you know, teams screw it up and this guy's a bust and more often than not, those GMs are right in the NFL than wrong more often than not in college. They're wrong. Their, their, their success rate, is not as good because you're dealing with teenagers who peak at different points. You know, a lot of these guys will get into a weight room and all of a sudden, poof, they got 20 pounds of muscle and now they're an entirely different player or poof. Now all of a sudden they're a little bit faster. Uh, the light goes on as a quarterback, the, the cerebral part of the game. So there's no question. It's still a crapshoot as we always point out in recruiting. However, we all know that we'd much rather have 25 five stars and 25 two stars, right? I mean, even with the margin of error, if you had your choice, which, which class are you going to take? You're going to take the 25 five stars because more often than not, they're going to, they're going to pan out a little bit better than those 25 two stars. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, we have reached a point now where the top recruits and it's already happening in basketball and now it's happening in football. And you mentioned there's three or four egregious. But th those are only the ones we know about, JC. I mean, there might be other egregious mm -hmm. examples that we don't know about. 
Uh, and when one case, somebody's agent was just too stupid. I don't think the kid even wanted him to go public with it, but the agent did. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's more of that going on than we know about. I talked to coaches and I'm telling you, it, it is, they are, when it comes to this part, miserable. Is it because they're evil dictators and they don't want the players to make money? No, because they realize there's constantly, constantly programs trying to poach their roster. That's not good for the sport. We, we, this is not, we do not want complete NFL free agency in college athletics. So uh, again, I don't have much more to say on the subject other than you, people in charge should have seen this coming if they didn't. And now that it, now that it has, now that finally the train has gone through that tunnel and it's no longer just a, a, a scary light. It's this 20-ton locomotive right down your throat. Like, what are you going to do about it? And that's where I hear very few answers because there's truly nobody in charge. And I think deep down, secretly, there's some people at the NCAA office in Indianapolis, including Mark Emmert, who are kind of chuckling and going, <laughs> you see, you thought I was the problem? Well, now I'm out of it. You go, good luck fixing this because a lot of the rules were they were certainly silly and ridiculous. And nobody's going to sit here and tell you the NCAA was great or well run or, or well uh, implemented. But I will tell you that a large part of what the NCAA did remember, it's not Mark Emmerich calling the shots, it's the school presidents that ultimately run this whole thing that ultimately hire Mark Emmerich, pay Mark Emmerich, rehire Mark Emmerich. And when they hire the next guy, I know some people out there might think it's going to be a real, you know, outside the box thinker that's going to be radically different than Mark Emmerich. It's not. It's going to be somebody, again, that they can control. And what they don't want is rampant cheating. What they don't want, they, they know that everybody at every major program is trying to find an edge. And if you don't have a sanctioning body, it's going to be exploited. We saw it in the 70s. We saw it in the 80s. We saw it in the 90s. Uh, so now we're going to see it at an all-time level, but it's almost <laughs> legalized cheating, if you will, because there are no rules to really regulate this much at all. So that's all. that's my only thought on the whole thing. And I'll just go back to if you thought this whole thing was going to be based on true supply and demand, you know, marketing value. Again, as I used to say a month ago, years ago, I've got stuff in my attic I want to sell you. That's not what this is all about. This is about which schools, boosters can provide the most money in the pot to pick up the most high caliber players regardless of market value or marketing deals or anything else, because at the end of the day, they want to win and it's worth it to them. If you own, if you're the guy that owns Yellowwood and you got millions of dollars and, you know, you, for you, it's worth it to pay Brian Harson's buyout to get rid of him after one year, guys like that exist in college athletics and they don't care that they don't, they're not going to get that money back. They have money. They got a lot of money. You know, there's people out there that have more money than we'll ever know. And for them to put their money into something they're passionate about, it's not an investment. It's not an ROI venture. It is a, hey, this makes me happy when my team wins venture. If they win. Yeah. And, and, and that's 
that's about the only thing I can see that, that may solve some of this is, I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. These numbers, I mean, look, I covered recruiting on a national level uh, for 15 years, right? I'm privy to some information I, I don't ever talk about, right? Oh, sure. I've never heard this, these kind of numbers. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm pretty 97% sure, uh, you know, kind of what some of the going rates were out there. Yeah. Because, sure. I mean, your heads, people's heads are in the stand if they don't believe schools are buying players. I mean, it, remember Albert Means? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember the What was the price tag on him? Hey, 50, 100,000, something like that. Uh, and that was that was huge back then. Back Absolutely. In the um, some of your better players in the country, you know, the past 10 years or so, 180 cash spread out over however many. And then, yeah, then there's the uh, other benefits like jobs and, you know, cars are actually pretty easy these days because, you know, there's a way around those when you lease cars to, right. to players and stuff, you could do a lease or whatever. And it's, and cars, cars are like not even, you know, but houses. And I mean, you know, you have, you have a lot of different avenues, but, but man, the money wasn't, there was no $8 million deal out there. Uh, you know, and you, you could, there's a story SB Nation came out with a while back about bag men. And, you know, the bag men are never your, your big money boosters. They're kind of your, your guys you know, that may own a business that they give 20, 30 grand a year to the school. And, you know, they kind of stay under the radar and, and all that. And that's true and, and all that. But it's uh, there was never any kind of deal like like you're talking. Um, and, and, you know, I, <laughs> that that type of cash, uh, I think it is just a complete game changer in terms of, of the sport in general. What's going to happen is. And so these guys funneling millions because it makes them feel good. Well, what happens when their team doesn't win? What happens when they, they're getting cut by a team that, you know, has a bunch of three-star guys that have come and developed and, uh, and your players are half of them, you know, are like 380 pounds because they don't go to class or they're academically ineligible and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, look, I mean, it, it's kind of weird because it's never been, it's never been a better time to be a college athlete right now because that supreme court thing where the ncaa lost nine nothing uh, a lot of people are mistaken about that being about nil it was not it was about uh, academic performance money being paid to to players um you know for academic reasons uh you know they, they used to put a limit on that and that's unconstitutional nine nothing and you know i think the supreme court did warn them uh about you know because you know third of the Supreme Court's probably on the college athletes are exploited train and uh, the other six are hardcore capitalists, <laughs> you know, so that's uh, that's to be expected. Um, and, and so you look at it like that, and it was kind of a warning about all this. And, uh, uh, but I do think that, you know, the academic money in some places, like, what is it, five, $6,000 a semester now? Uh, plus you got the cost of living, which is five, six thousand says eleven thousand plus the scholarship plus this, that, and the other NIL. Oh, it's just a good time financially uh, to be a college uh, ball player. But you know that's there's a difference between that and th there's a difference between getting paid what you've earned, which is the American way, right? And then getting paid really just because, I guess, of your potential. 
And that sounds hypocritical because I know we pay first round draft picks a bunch of money and, you know, you, you pay the rising guy from Harvard some money or whatever, if you're a law firm, but it, it's just, it, it's egregious. And, and I think it, 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 it stunts growth. And, and so that's a way to fix it. I think the federal government fat chance, they step in and fix anything. Mm-hmm. Um, both sides of the aisle are like ridiculously fall apart. You got one that just doesn't want to pay for play. You got another that wants a union and, and all they want to, they want to workers of the world unite, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, they're far apart. And, and the federal government's not going to solve this. The NCAA is meeting right now. They have a committee that they want to enforce the recruiting aspect of it. In other words, bring the hammer down. If, if it's a recruiting enticement. Okay. Well, let's say that works. First of all, they're going to run up against state laws because that's what this whole thing is governed by. Um, the state laws are changing because, you know, who sits on the state government in most of these states? Graduates of big-time football schools uh, in most of them. Uh, you know, so they're, they're, they're trying to – the state lawmakers don't care. They're trying to make, give, give their school an advantage. So you can run up against that. And then really at the end of the day, how are, how are you really going to enforce – a collective, okay, the collective can't go sign a guy, right? They can't sign a contract with a high school player. Fine. What's going to keep you from going, all right, so-and-so, uh, here's what the quarterback here may, in your class uh, has set aside for him for NIL, um, and that's what you'll make. Uh, and then the minute they get on campus, they sign the contract, and it's perfectly legal, and there's nothing the NCAA can do about it. So, you know, what's to keep that from happening? I mean, the NCAA is – is and, and look, they, they should have done this, Mike, a few years back when the Ed O'Bannon thing happened. They should have said – because th- there's parts of NIL at so, some places that I really like. Like, there's some kids out there that play college football that have come up with their own gear and clothing line. You know, to me, they're making money that they deserve. To me, teaching entrepreneurship – is probably more valuable than half the classes in college you take. You know, I, I think learning about running a business is probably a little more valuable for some of these guys than learning about Canadian yarn art, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, mountain studies or whatever. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's part of the college experience. I think that's awesome. And that's what it's all about. Guys run camps. Uh, they do public appearances they sign autographs, which I always thought was a logical thing. A lot of it's very logical and I think very healthy and, and very good for the players. But the egregiousness of the recruiting end of it <laughs> and, and guys getting millions of dollars, but not because of their market value, but because of who they are and how they could potentially impact a team. Uh, I just think that gets that gets a little out of control. And I just don't know how. Now you regulate it because everybody's going to come back to these two words, free market. Well, yeah, they may not be worth that much, but they are because that's what somebody's willing to pay them. We'll put a bow on that subject uh, for now, but it'll continue to be uh, talked about on this podcast and, and others. And it's going to be a, a national storyline that is thoroughly going to dominate the off season. What I'm afraid of is that it, it, it won't dominate the, the actual season because games will always trump anything off the field. However, uh, it's going to be a subject line that will continue throughout the season. Uh, you know, what's a kid to, that's a disgruntled player in the middle of the year just to just say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I don't like what I'm getting here. 
I'm putting myself uh, available and, uh, you know, again, let the bidding begin, which is, which is what we're talking about. I mean, you literally, it's, it's out in the open now. It's, it's, it's let's go ahead and put myself up for bidding. And uh, whether it's Josh Addison or uh, the quarterback that's supposedly out there with a seven figure price tag as a transfer, um, <laughs> I just don't know how that would be good for the, for the sport. Somebody brought up the, uh, the question, well, I mean, why, in, in what other uh, professional sport, which right there, it's a dead giveaway. Do we, do we limit marketing dollars? Well, you can't compare this to the NFL. Like it's, this is not, it, it's two different. Those, those are players that are already signed and entrenched. Like there's not, that's not the incentive to go to a particular team. I, I don't even need, I don't have enough time to tell you the difference. If that's your point, that's your counter argument, the difference between college football and the NFL and, and capping marketing deals. If you want to, if you want to frame it that way. All right. Uh, NFL draft came and went, I, I just, just some things that stood out to me. I, I, I couldn't help, but um, think of this draft as one of the worst quarterback drafts in NFL in our modern NFL history. Since I've been, I, I mean, I became a draft Nick in, in, in the years where, you know, Jimmy and Jerry had the, all the Herschel Walker picks that's when I really started sitting down and I was glued to the TV and I would watch every pick and I've pretty much done so since then. So uh, yes, I need help. I'm, I'm seeing a therapist for that. Um, but <laughs> you know, sue me. I like the NFL draft. So, and we don't know what these NFL, you know, whether it's Pickett or Corral or uh, Malik Willis, we don't know how it's going to turn out in time, but I compared it to 2013. If you remember 2013, there was, just nothing to get excited about in, in the quarterback uh, 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 pool and, and nobody had a first round grade, but in, inevitably, and this is what some people thought would happen. And I wouldn't have been surprised if it did happen teams that have a need for quarterback will reach. So uh, EJ Manuel, the Buffalo bills reached for him. He was the one first round pick in 2013. He went 16 and you know, it, it, it didn't exactly pan out the way, uh, that anybody would have wanted Geno Smith. Now Geno's still in the league, but Geno lit it up at West Virginia. Not a great NFL quarterback. He went in the second round. Mike Glennon of NC State, third round. Matt Barkley, speaking of big time recruits, fourth round out of Southern Cal. Ryan Nassib, fourth round out of the uh, uh, well from Syracuse, but to Syracuse. the Giants. Yeah. Uh, Landry Jones, I remember calling a couple of his games mm. at Oklahoma. Fourth round of the Steelers. Uh, you, you get the idea. There's, there's more, there, there's others that are, that are worse. Uh, Zach Dysart, BJ Daniel, Sean Renfrey, Brad Sorensen, Tyler Wilson, a fourth round pick. Uh, that's what I thought was the story for this draft is that you didn't have now last year, we had the first three picks for quarterbacks. This coming year is supposed to be a huge year for quarterbacks. I mean, you're going to have, as many as five first round draft picks at the quarterback position. So this was a, this was an anomaly. And, and that was the story to me, JC, is that they, we, we didn't have all the quarterbacks to talk about. Um, the other, the other storyline, and then I'll uh, turn the mic over to you is that folks, SEC fans, SEC Eastern division fans, uh, your real reality is Georgia, the way they have accumulated talent and the way they continue to, to do it 
is now the Alabama of the East officially, not because they won a national championship. I mean, theoretically, even if they lost that national championship game, they still would have had five first round draft picks off the defense, uh, loads of pick. And, and the best player, by the way, on that Georgia defensive line might not have even been drafted because he's not eligible to be drafted until next year. I'm talking about Jalen Carter. Some people will tell you he was actually the best player on that D line. Um, but this is what Kirby has been doing and it hasn't been as noticeable because they weren't winning the national championships that Nick Saban and Alabama were, but believe you me, this is, this is where we are now in uh, recruiting. Like Kirby smart had a blueprint. And of course it's, as I always say, it's easier to, to do that blueprint at a program like Georgia than it is at, say, Kentucky or Vanderbilt or even Tennessee, for that matter. Uh, but he has pulled it off. They have – they are just stockpiling player after player after player, draft pick after draft pick after draft pick. So uh, if you're a fan of a team in the Eastern Division, that's what you're up against. You're up against a program much like Alabama in the West that is chock full of NFL talent year in, year out. Yeah, Jalen Carter certainly is a great player. Nolan Smith is back on that defensive line. They do have to redo their linebackers. Um, I was surprised Nicobe Dean didn't go in the first round. I, I think that's, that's a shocker. More of my words, Mike. That's going to be a case of the NFL boys uh, overthinking. Yes. Overthinking it. I mean, I know he's what, 5'11 and a half? 5'11 um, and a half, and he was banged up a lot. And he didn't run a 40. And, and so they you kept hearing the player, medical, though. the medical, the medical. Uh, yeah, Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald's about 5'11", too. He's only the best defensive tackle yeah. in our generation. And, but, and look, somebody's – go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, no, I mean, to get him in the third round is the steal of the draft. And, and I, that's that's a pretty popular opinion, and I would stand by it as well. Like, I'm sitting there watching, like, how in the hell is nobody – if you watch Georgia up close, he was the best player on that defense. Uh, he was the best player. That doesn't mean he's going to be the best NFL player. Doesn't mean he's the best pure athlete or physical specimen. I'm just telling you, nobody consistently made better plays than the Kobe Dean for that generational defense in Athens. I mean, yeah, even in the third round, uh, Brian Asamoah from Oklahoma, I saw him play a lot, not in the Kobe Dean. Chad Muma from Wyoming, good player, not in the Kobe Dean. Christian Harris from Alabama is a really, really good player, not Nicobe Dean. Uh, you know, then Nicobe Dean goes to the Eagles. I mean, you know, and look, maybe, maybe that's the I, – I thought that was sort of shocking and just, just the guys that got taken before him. Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you this about – what about – linebackers play is a lot about being an eraser, um, you know, because offenses will catch your defense in certain looks, and what they're trying to get your def defenders to be is like where the ball's not, Right. And so, gosh, I guess it was Bama, maybe Michigan. Michigan likes to run this little flare pass, or maybe Alabama did too. It was one of those two teams. Uh, so, Nakobe is caught on the other side of the field, caught him in, a, in a, a blitz or a stun or something. And so, here we go. There's this little flare pass that against other teams goes for 30, 40 yards. Beautiful play call, right? And um, here comes 17 across the field. <laughs> And instead of a 30-yard, it's a four-yard game. Uh, and it is rare that I have seen a linebacker truck like that, you know, that, that, can, that, that even if he takes, you know, false steps or, or gets out of position, he's good enough 
and has enough pursuit speed to recover. You know, I mean, he's a five-star guy, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, sometimes I'm not all on the five-star train with some of these guys, but that's one I was like, Oh heck yeah. He's a top five high school player in the country. Georgia landed him out of the state of Mississippi, uh, which they're starting to do kind of like Alabama and select those guys. So that, that was something else. And I, I'll say this about Georgia next year. I, I, I think you've got to pick them to win the East. I think they're more talented than, than everybody in the East. I think, you know, they're one of the two most talented teams in, in the SEC right now. Um, but I look at the, the general, you know, you, people throw that term generational around a lot. I, I look at the generational defense and who they lost. And if they reload this year and, and they're good, I mean, I don't think they're going to be that dominant, but if they're dominant, you know, it doesn't have to be extremely dominant, but dominant, look out. Because that means that that program is at the point to where you can lose five first rounders. You can lose a freak like Trevon Walker and a freak like Jordan Davis up front. Uh, which Jordan Davis is the world are really hard to find. And, and I, I, I don't know of another six foot five, 251 pound defensive end that runs four, five, one. <laughs> I mean, I've never, you know, uh, a clowny, I think ran four, four, seven. So there you go. There's, um, you know, so, so if they find guys like that and I think they've got a chance, then, then yeah, I, I'm a believer in that. That's reality. Uh, in that division right now. And I was on the radio in Tuscaloosa, Alabama today talking about it. And, you know, it's, it's Bama, uh, uh, it's Georgia at the top. It's Vanderbilt probably in seventh. I think you could probably make a case for Missouri sixth. Everybody else, shake them up in a box and, and draw names because, you know, the rest of those programs are either in transition, they're building, they're, you know, something's going on, you know, with them to where they're not you know, heading into this year expected to, to really, you know, challenge the dogs, but you know, Hey, look, anytime you lose that many players, uh, you may just not be as good the next year. Um, but, uh, I think we're going to find out, uh, pretty quick with the dogs because they open with Oregon. Uh, so that's not an easy opener. So we'll see what happens. Let's see how it shakes down. I, I think that, uh, uh, like you said, two through six, completely unpredictable in the SEC this year. And there's a lot of people in Tennessee that thinks this is the time that, that, that think this is the time, like, okay, we are going to, we're going to slay that dragon. Like they lost a lot in Athens. There's, there's no chance that they can be as good as they were a year ago. And you know, we, we got momentum and we got hooker back. There's some people believe hooker is going to be a first round draft pick. I'm looking at one draft board for 2023 Yes, I, this is a cry for help. Mm-hmm. Bryce Young, number one. C.J. Stroud, number two, out of Ohio State. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback out of Miami, top ten pick. Spencer Rattler, number nine. This is just one man's opinion. Um, out of South Carolina, of course. Uh, uh, other quarterbacks. Uh, Will Roger. Will excuse me. Will Levis of Kentucky. I've told you where I stand on him. I think I know NFL scouts are very high on him already. So uh, it's going to be a much better year for for quarterbacks and Hendon and some people have Hendon Hooker going as high as twenty one. Uh, if if he has that type of season, and they have any semblance of a defense in Knoxville, then then who knows? Uh, you could be uh, you could be seeing something an actual program on the rise because programs have flirted with this 
whether it's Kentucky, whether it's Carolina, uh, whether it's Florida, the one year <coughs> that they knocked off Georgia went to Atlanta, and 12 months later they have a coaching search. But, but nobody has really been able to – forget about supplant Georgia. Nobody's been able to be consistently in the same ballpark as Georgia in the Eastern Division. And, again, it's not a mystery. No knock on Kirby. So Kirby's a good coach, but it's the talent. And Kirby, the, the, to Kirby's credit – and he did this last year and kind of a, a, a shot poking the bear in the zoo at Dan Mullen. He will tell you it's about the players. Like Kirby be the first one to tell you, I'm not just out scheming everybody. It's about the Jimmies and the Joes. And that draft that we just saw just was the final piece of proof how well they have recruited and evaluated talent because they're not all five stars. A lot of them were, as you know, JC, but, but they had some guys that also that were uh, on the lower end of the spectrum and, and turned into five-star talent. So Jordan uh, Davis was one of the most amazing. If I, I saw Jordan Davis in 2016, he was a sophomore up in Charlotte. Uh, I was actually a sideline reporter. One year I did a sideline reporter job. Never will do that again. Mike. Nice. Um, for Burns high school and they were playing his team and, He's a younger player, offensive lineman, very sloppy, slow. Uh, I think a lot of people, based on that film, his junior year film, that wrote him off. Georgia took him because he's a big body, and they need a nose tackle in that defense. I mean, if you mm-hmm. you think about what, you know Alabama's defenses over the years when they've had that big guy in the middle, it's unbelievable. Uh, and so, um, here's years later here's jordan davis you know just killing it and uh you know and i, I mean light on his feet uh unbelievable i mean you know and he ran i think a record time at the combine so he did and then that's a three-star guy that most people wanted as an offensive guard out of charlotte that they went and got and developed i mean you know even a guy like channing tindall uh who they got out of state of south carolina you know he kind of was up and down the depth chart for three or four years, getting gotten to this year, and all of a sudden he's a star. You know, I think he got drafted. I mean, so they not only have recruited great talent, man, they have developed and maximized that great talent. They're not like Texas, where Texas gets guys that are highly rated all the time, and you've seen what happened. No draft picks, right? <laughs> no draft picks, gave up 57 at home to Kansas. Um Georgia, you know, with, with the way they've done it, and, and that's the Alabama plan coming to fruition. That's Kirby Smart's plan that he learned working for Nick Saban coming to fruition. When you get the best of the best recruits, and then you know, you know, and you get them, and then you do something with them to get them better and let them reach their potential, then they have a special, special defense like you did last year so yeah i i agree and you know i was just jotting it down in the sec this coming year mike you're gonna have a lot of quarterbacks with big reps uh coming back it's gonna be a good year in the league uh you know even i know brady cook i think is taking over at missouri uh, for basilac who left um you mentioned hooker rattler levis anthony richardson's gonna be the guy at florida it looks like he has stetson bennett uh, JT Daniels at LSU is going to be interesting to me. Not JT Daniels, no, Jaden no, no. Daniels. Jaden Daniels right. uh, from Arizona, Arizona State. State. That's going to be interesting. You know, the, the only the only schools that you know, Missouri, Auburn. Uh, I know Vanderbilt likes their guy a lot too. So, yeah, I, I mean, I still think there are question marks 
at quarterback in the league. Like sure. you mentioned Richardson of Florida. Like I, I don't know what to make of him yet. Like everybody is waiting for him to just turn into this because he's got a Cam Newton like body, but they're they're waiting for him to turn into this star. Well, we haven't seen that yet. I mean, uh, we we saw a guy who's really uh, shaky at times in big games with turnovers. Um, Hooker at Tennessee was a, as Bob Kessling mentioned on our last podcast, he wasn't even supposed to be the guy. You know, and and he had he had moments last year. Yeah, you know, he put together a good season. Am I convinced that he is he's going to just reach a whole other level this year? I'm not there yet. Spencer Radler, South Carolina, uh, all kinds of crazy athletic ability. Uh, you know, he transferred for a reason. I want to see how he does, and he's going to have less talent around him in Columbia than he did at Norman, Oklahoma. Tougher defenses, too. Um, Absolutely. Much tougher defenses. Um, LSU, first off, has to figure out who their guy is going to be, and then Mm -hmm. we'll see. Um, You know, I I mean, Auburn, what are we looking at there? Uh, Ole Miss, what are we looking at there? I can tell you one thing. It's not going to be Matt Corral. By the way, let me just say this. One other takeaway from the draft. I think it's going to be fascinating. Malik Willis and Matt Corral each slipped to the third round. Now, Corral had the injury, and a lot of people think that had a lot to do with it. Malik Willis, you had plenty of people in the media that were openly rooting for him to be in the first round. And we see this all the time. People in our profession uh, can't, for the life of them, be the least bit objective about certain things. So they, their, their fanaticism toward what they want to happen, what they want reality to be versus what it really is. For several months, people have said uh, Malik Willis is a third-round grade, third-round grade, third-round grade. You had some people taking him top 10, like to the Panthers, based on how he looked in a, in a combine. Like It's just nobody in the NFL had him as a first-round pick. Matt Corral, with the injury combined with the fact he's, he's very slight of frame, I think we finally shed the ridiculous where you got to be 6'3", 6'4". There's plenty of NFL quarterbacks that are shorter than that that are very, very good. Uh, we, we've gotten past the whole height thing. Apparently, we're more obsessed with hand size now, <laughs> which is, which is going to be the Kenny Pickett every time he turn, every time he fumbles it. I told you, I told you his hands are six and three quarters or whatever the heck it is, eight and three quarters instead of nine plus. Um, but, I, but those two guys, like, who are you going to put your money on Three, four years from now, because most people will tell you Malik Willis is a developmental guy. Like he's not going to see the field on a regular basis for the first year or two, but eventually he could be a star if if the light goes on and all that uh, ability comes to fruition. Matt Corral already was a star in college and did it at an extremely high level in the Southeastern Conference. Has has guts, has all those things, but you know he doesn't have the physical ability of, you know, John Elway, even though he can run and he can throw, he's got a good arm, but he's not quite that level of just jump off the charts athleticism. Uh, But they both went in the third round with a lot of people convinced that they were going to go higher. And I'm just, I'm going to be very interested to see which one of those, maybe both pan out and become uh, perennial NFL starters. Yeah. I'd probably go with Corral. Uh, Desmond Ritter from the Falcons who played in Cincinnati is intriguing to me a little bit just because 
Uh, the coach in Atlanta, Smith, he seems to like a guy that's got some wheels that can run a little bit, you know, uh, just looking at kind of how they've, you know, they got rid of Matt Ryan or whatever. I, I, I kind of think the Falcons are going to be God awful for a little while, but uh, I'm, I'm a Falcons fan. Right. But um, that seems like a guy that could fit uh, with just simply what they do. But uh, to me, corral with gosh, Mike, the way he can adjust his arm and sling it, uh, you know, it used to be the guys that played in that style of offense sort of had a, uh, a stigma attached to them. I think when you look at Kyler Murray in, in the NFL and you look at Patrick Mahomes and, you know, the litany of air raid guys that are now killing it at the next level, I, I think that's out the window. So, you know, to me, Corral probably, you know, if I had to pick one, would be that guy. And, and just because I, I just saw him make too many sick throws. Uh, for Ole Miss, <laughs> uh, I mean, a guy, really, really good player, really, really. Good and, player. and I, and and again, he he had some talent around him, but he did not have like this was no longer wide receiver you, and when you had AJ Brown and Metcalf, and like they, like they were loaded there for a while at wide receiver. They had some good, they had some good wideouts, but they didn't have the star power going back to the Hugh Freeze era recruits, and right after him with Matt Luke. Uh, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't think Matt Corral could have done much more with what he had at Ole Miss, which is why it's hard for me to believe that Ole Miss doesn't take a step backward this year because you, you just don't replace Matt Corral. Like, that was, a, that was a hell of a get to get Matt Corral from out west and for him to stay when Lane Kiffin – I mean, hell, he wasn't even the starter. If, if Who knows? If Lane Kiffin doesn't come, Matt Corral might not even win the job because he wasn't as fast as the other quarterback who's now a wide receiver. So Yeah, they had uh, Rich Rod. Rich Rod, and Rich Rod was the OC there. Oh, yeah, know? Rich Rod so had the option. So yeah. his system, you know, with John Reese Plumley, who I thought was – I thought, you know, that first year he, he was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, Jackson Dart's going to be the quarterback at Ole Miss. Uh, played at Southern Cal as a true freshman last year. Stats weren't all that great. People really liked this kid, though. And then they have uh, Zach Evans, who was the best running back in the country – a couple of years back, kind of some drama in his recruitment. Uh, ended up uh, at TCU. And then when Patterson, whatever, they fired Gary Patterson <laughs> to hire Sonny or yeah, Sonny Dyke. So, um, you know, he left and he's now at Ole Miss. That, that gives him kind of a nice, I guess you call it a battery, you know, like a pitcher and catcher, kind of a nice running back quarterback. But I, man, they lost 17 starters. I, I don't know because I got the odds from, for the SEC championship from, I guess it was FanDuel or something. I don't know. Maybe I need to look into Ole Miss a little more because Ole Miss, Mike, is sitting there at 21, right behind Bama and Georgia, uh, the Rebels and Texas a and Maybe they have a favorable schedule. Uh, I, I think that's that the Lane Kiffin factor. I, you know, but he, and he lost, but he lost both coordinators and yeah. 17 starters. I mean. Oh, I know. I, I, I mean, I think that's, that's way too high for Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, I think if you're not, if you're not so much dissecting the roster and you're just doing it based on what gamblers are going to look at and, and mm-hmm. what, 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 am, what does everybody know? If you're, if you're not truly entrenched, they know two things. They know the head coach and very often they know the quarterback. Yeah. So you got a highly recruited quarterback and you got a head coach that's considered a quarterback whisperer who's coming off two surprisingly good years in Oxford. Absolutely. So that becomes an end vote pick, but but for all the reasons you just mentioned, I'd be reluctant to be that all in on Ole Miss in 2022. Now, maybe in 2023, 
I mean, maybe that, maybe so, but yeah, I, I, just, I mean, yeah, it's kind of odd to me. I just, uh, you know, because I I expected, you know, you know, I mean, Arkansas lost some players, but then they got some players from the portal. Ole Miss did have a really good portal class, but you know, I, I, I kind of look at it and I'm like, wow, you know, um, one thing they they <laughs> excuse me, they don't have is a very tough schedule. Um, they they're non big non conference games at Georgia Tech. It's Troy, Central Arkansas, Tulsa. Other than that, they open with four non-conference games. Uh, and then, the, you know, the, the, the uh, cross, cross team is Kentucky from the east. They go at – they play Vandy every year. So, it's Kentucky, Vandy, Auburn at home, at LSU, at A&M, Bama, at Arkansas, and then Mississippi State. Very manageable schedule. So, that may be playing a factor into it, too. I mean, uh I'm kind of curious after seeing the crowd at the Georgia Tech Georgia game last year if the Rebels could come to Atlanta and uh, you know turn that uh, into a red sea of red and blue at Grand <laughs> Field. My God, uh, how uh, that thing's falling off! So well, everybody yeah, else does. Yeah, so it may be, it may be. I mean, look, it's always kind of been like that at Tech, man. But I remember in the early 2000s, I was working in Gainesville, Georgia. I covered some Georgia Tech games, and it, you know, Auburn came to town that year. Clemson came to town. Georgia came to town. And it was still 50-50, you know, and, and Georgia Tech fans got loud. I mean, it it can be a loud stadium, but, man, that, that thing's just eroded so much. Yeah, that's a fan uh, yeah, base that is they, – they have been uh, – I don't like to use the term abused, but, I mean, they have watched to go from an ACC championship, albeit, I guess they – was that, that, that was that was vacated by the NCAA. Yeah, yeah, mistaken, yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, back when the Paul Johnson era – Mr. Enthusiasm himself, but since then it's just been, it's been tough. And I, you know, again, as someone who's been in Atlanta now over a decade, what I've learned about Georgia tech athletics is really hard to be on the radar, man. Mm -hmm. You are drowned out by Georgia, all these sec fans, uh, Clemson fans, Florida state fans. And then you've got the Braves, you got the Falcons. Like it's Mm -hmm. just, you, you are, you are so far down on the radar it's tough to get juice. And then if you're not winning, quite frankly, you're just ignored. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's a tough, tough deal for that program. Well, we started off with Ozark. We went into NIL. We went into the NFL draft and somehow we ended on the environment at a Georgia tech football game. But that's Outsta- what, what an outstanding, what is the outstanding <laughs> episode, Mike? Oh, love it. Love it. Uh, tell the fine folks you've been working extra hard on um, adding our platforms on, on social media on top of everything else. Give, give everybody an update on JC and Morgan. Sure. Yeah. I, I want to uh, point out. So we are now uh, on Instagram uh, at JC and Morgan. We are on Facebook at JC and Morgan pod. And, uh, I think also we've had a Twitter account for a while at JC and Morgan. So give us a follow on our social media channels, got some special things. There's little videos here and there and, uh, memes. And, uh, you know, we try to on the Instagram story, put some relevant college football tidbits, uh, Twitter as well. So, I, uh, uh, I encourage everybody to check that out, um, you know, in addition to, you know, subscribing on Apple Podcasts and uh, on Google Play and Spotify and Stitcher and uh, Audible, you know, people, people like to listen. I listen to audio books these days. I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we're on Audible. So uh, there it, you would go. Be, it would be great. So anyway, just uh, 
just, uh, you know, hit us up and uh, enjoy that. And certainly uh, we're going to kill it through the summer. Great. Lots, lots of great guests, lots of great conversation, lots of crazy times in college football now. So uh, keep up with it on JC and Morgan. Yeah, no, really appreciate that. I, uh, the, the quantitative numbers speak for themselves that the, the, the thousands of you that download this every time, the qualitative, the feedback we get is even more encouraging. Uh, Cause again, we know that this is a space that's occupied by other people as well. You don't have to choose us, but many of you do. And we appreciate that. And I, I talked to Elon Musk. Uh, uh, he's, he's gonna, he, he said, you know, Mike, for, for you and JC, I'll buy it. I'll buy Instagram for $50 billion and, uh, and I'll go ahead and, uh, just, just enhance your platform and do some algorithms that'll direct more people to that. So we appreciate Elon for supporting us here. Uh, just kidding. Uh, thank you so much to everybody involved once again, and, uh, we'll be back with you in a week or so for more JC and Morgan. He's JC. I'm Mike. So long everybody.